With the rise of Donald Trump, I saw the greatest racial divide amongst Europeans and melanated people that I've ever seen in my entire lifetime. His presidency was the strangest four years of my life. It was so surreal, and that surreal feeling never really went away. I saw this guy make fun of disabled people, slander Mexicans, and all of this during just the campaign for presidency. And he still got elected. I didn't think it would get much worse, but it did. He went on to brag about grabbing women by the pussy and then embolden a once somewhat silent population of white supremacists. And in response to this, we all saw the rise of various movements such as Me Too, Black Lives Matter, all this cancel culture stuff, riots, blind adoration of liberalism. And we kind of started to see the COVID pandemic is a little bit of a cherry on top towards the end of his presidency. And that's when it all dawned on me. I think this shit might be too cartoonishly entertaining, even by American standards. Would I sound crazy if I said that I thought all this was some sort of purposeful distraction? This is the part where some people might feel triggered. I'm going to need you to take a deep breath. I talk a lot of shit, but... I want to very humbly ask everyone listening to this to open your mind to the possibility that we all might be a part of some large social manipulation scheme that's akin to hypnosis. This isn't even coming out of some weird paranoia on my part, not entirely anyway. It's just, I think I've seen this all once before. Not personally, but I learned a lot about it. Look, I'm not denying the existence of various isms that we're all freaking out about today, especially systemic racism. According to a study, white families hold 90% of the national wealth. Latinos or Latinx hold 2.3% and so-called black people hold 2.6% of national wealth. And I say so-called black people because black is not a nationality and I don't subscribe to being called a color. I only use the term black so that people will know what I'm talking about. Uh, Blacks also only make up about 13% of the U.S. population, but somehow represent 40% of the prison population and also tend to serve much higher sentences for the same crimes as whites. A 2012 study revealed that 67% of doctors have quote-unquote unconscious racial biases when it comes to black patients. Hospitals are also not very well funded in black areas and have less experienced doctors. Even black doctors face discrimination and there's less likely to receive grants than their white counterparts. All that being said, it's still very clear that institutional racism is is real. But what isn't so clear is that the reason why this sudden focus on racism just popped up, to me, it feels a little manufactured and disingenuous. Is it possible that it may be amplified by the media on purpose in order to divide the masses from one another? I noticed this during the great Tiki Torch incident that took place in Charlottesville, North Carolina. The fact that they all had Tiki Torches was really odd to me. I mean, did nobody just want to wrap a stick in oily rags and catch it on fire like how the fuck did that meeting take place how did they all decide on tiki torches it seems like somebody went to the store or some sort of group or someone that incited this whole thing in the first place might have went to home depots and walmarts and various stores to go retrieve tiki torches and pass them out the back of a truck it just doesn't seem or do all white people just have tiki torches just laying around Some of you may be thinking, what would be the benefit or gain that could possibly be achieved from imposing and maintaining a state of racial tension in the U.S.? I don't know entirely, and I only have theories, but I do know that in the 1500s or somewhere around that time, Native Americans were given the right to develop their own little slave trade that consisted of enslaving their neighboring enemies. That's right. Native Americans enslaved other Native Americans during like this great colonization of this country. The colonists allowed this or even, you know, perpetuated it in order to further distract the natives from the impending colonization that was definitely descending upon them. The colonists were smart. 
they knew that if they chose a select few to give their favor to, and on top of that, give those people power over others, this would create a division between the natives. If the natives would have joined forces amongst themselves, you know, the ones that they considered enemies, we not might there might not be a such thing as what we call Indian casinos today. There might there might not be a such thing as a reservation. There might not be, you know, so much destruction of natural water sources throughout the country in order to build another oil pipeline. This slavery went on for over a century until the Yamasees War happened anyway. And around the 1700s, colonists of the Carolinas started to default on the favors and the promises that they had given their native allies. And they started enslaving those people themselves. So the Yamasees began to start to question their alliance to the colonists. And along with the Lower Creeks uh, tribe in the Savannas, um, they got together with the Yamasees and they attacked the Carolina tribe, killing uh, or attacked the Carolinas, I'm sorry, and killed over 400 people. And that that was in like 7% of the colonist population. But even when they finally recognized that they needed to unite, shit was too late. The colonists learned, um, also learned a valuable lesson at that time because of that incident. And it was this. Don't ever let natives unite with other oppressed people, particularly blacks. If the natives ever saw the common thread of oppression between them, they might create a slave native army that cannot be stopped. Much later, they began to integrate Native Americans into the European lifestyle. Um, this happened with the five civilized tribes. I believe there was the Cherokee, the Choctaw, the, the Chickasaw, and a few other ones. I forget what they are. We'll talk about them in another episode. Um, but nonetheless, a valuable tactic had kind of been perfected in America because of this. They, the tactic was to give some people favor and leave some people out. And this creates a gap in society and by default an us versus them dynamic. The people who are invited in typically don't ever generate ill feelings towards their oppressors and they even help to push the less fortunate people down, not realizing that they're both under control. It reminds me of when I was a little kid, my little brother, God rest his soul, we used to fight when we were little. And I would always want to play video games alone because I assumed he would, you know, suck at the game and get me killed. And he would cry and he would tell my mom or my grandma. And of course, they would, you know, scold me and tell me to hook up the second controller so that he could stop making a fuss about it. But what they didn't know was that the second controller never actually plugged in. And there was this, you know, commotion going on on the screen. There were sounds coming out of the speakers. The screen was moving around. And every once in a while, I would say something to him like, damn, man, how'd you do that? Or that shit was dope. You're so good at this game. But it was all just an illusion. So I got to continue playing my game unbothered. My brother stopped crying. Parents stopped trying to tell me what to do. It was a win-win for everybody. I only say this because I think on a much larger level, that this is what the government is doing to us right now. We think we're playing the game by voting and protesting and being angry at one another and creating all these groups. But is the controller actually plugged in, though? This is going to be a really, really hard thing to talk about. I'm hoping I don't lose some of you. But I think it's very important to discuss this because I believe that we are in the midst of what I like to call a cold civil war. We're right in the middle of it, and I want you to learn how on this episode of Hip Hop Anonymous. Yo, 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 what's good? What's up? And welcome to the sixth episode of Hip Hop Anonymous. I am your host, Dean Martian, and I feel like the best version of myself when I'm doing my due diligence to learn things about the world we live in, such as cucumbers do in fact taste better pickled, <laughs> but not if you want something to make your water more refreshing. I swear these are getting more like ridiculous. Anyway, thanks for joining me for another episode of Hip Hop Anonymous. And today we're going to be talking about something that I like to call 
the cold civil war and it's also the sixth spiritual battlefront um, and i call it the uh, the war battlefront so before we get into it i just want to give a quick shout out to tony s tisha b you guys man y'all been here since the beginning and um, even back when I attempted to do this show under another name, like a year or two, a couple years ago, and I thank you so much for that. That is the hugest sign of loyalty, for, and it means the world to me. Like I can't even explain how much that that means to me. Um, my homeboy Timmy P, you know who you are. Um, you always gave me a ton of encouragement, and uh, creatively especially, and a bunch of enlightening discussions. Let's see. Uh, but wait, there's more. I got a couple of international listeners as well. A couple of folks from Germany been tuning in for some reason. Also in Norway, in Morocco. I do not know how or why you found me, but I hope you keep listening. And as a matter of fact, anybody who is listening to this show, um, please send me an email. Dean at DeanXMartian.com and tell me what you think about the show. Do you like it? Do you hate it? Are there some things that you would change? Is there anything that I'm, you know, missing in some of these episodes that you would like to contribute? You know, I'll talk about it on the show. I'll read your name and give you a little shout out and all that. So uh, I hope we can all have a conversation together. You can also reach me on Instagram at DeanXMartian. And I'm also on Twitter, uh, Twitter at MartianDean. And for the love of God, please rate the show five stars on iTunes and leave a review. Subscribe to the show anywhere that you're listening to this. You can also download the Anchor app to potentially be a guest on the show. That uh, That's an app that I use to record this captivating series. I'm sure you've heard the ad up top. And um, it has this feature where I can like dial people in essentially, I guess. I've never used it, but I'd like to try it out. If you're interested, let me know. Um, so, and finally, please share the show with people that you think would like it. And shit, share this show with people that you know might not like it and just make them listen to the shit anyway. Because listening to my sponsors is how I get paid. So it'd be very helpful and very appreciated. Um, so today's episode is a very special one to me because it's about something that is happening in the world, in the United States right now, specifically. And there's this, there's this huge racial divide and black people think it's because of whites. Whites think it's because of everybody but them. But I think it's because of intentional manipulation, possibly by the government. And today I'm going to speak my mind about the Black Panthers uh, in order to kind of illustrate the point that I'm trying to make. So we're going to talk about the Black Panthers, like I said, their goals, who stopped them, why and how it's relevant to today's social and racial climate and how Black Lives Matter could be doing way more harm to melanated people than good. And I think we, you know, should talk about it and maybe some things that we could do about it in the future. Or something that we could do better. All that being said, let's get into this show. God damn it. This discussion inherently starts with the Black Panthers. I said something a little earlier at the top of the show about the Native Americans and how they were manipulated by the colonists with a perpetual state of infighting so that they would never realize how badly that they were being taken advantage of by the Europeans. I also said how the Europeans, you know, who are working on behalf of the crown, knew that they were outnumbered by the natives at the time and um, separating the tribes would allow them to make massive power moves in plain sight, undetected, and it all led to the shaping of the America that we know and not always love today. It's a beautiful place, you know, geographically, but it's also a place that's currently still under the occupation of foreigners who now have the gall to tell other foreigners that they don't belong here and they're ever expanding their control over oppressed people and lands. Well, I have another story, one that is very relevant to me and to the current racial socio-political climate in the United States and this story takes place in the 1960s with the start of the Black Panthers. 
The Black Panthers were a revolutionary party founded in 1966 in Oakland, California by Huey Newton and Bobby Seale. The original purpose of the group was to patrol black neighborhoods, uh, to protect residents from police brutality. And on October 66, Huey Newton and Bobby Seale wrote their first draft of their 10-point freedom plan. Um, and it was the 10-point plan for the Black Panther Party. Number one, we want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black community. Two, we want full employment for our people. Three, we want an end to the robbery by the white men of our black community. And later this was changed to, we want an end to the robbery by the capitalists of our black and oppressed communities. So getting a little more inclusive there. Number four, we want decent housing fit for shelter of human beings. Number five, we want education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. And we want education that teaches us our true history and our role in the present day society, which I don't know how anybody could give you that, but they can definitely give you the environment that allows you to discover that on your own. Number six, we want all black men to be exempt from military service. Like it. Seven, we want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. Eight, we want freedom for all black men held in federal, state, county, and city prisons and jails. Nine, we want all black people when brought to trial to be tried in a court by a jury of their peer group or people from their black communities as defined by the Constitution of the United States. And finally, number 10, which was kind of an amalgamation of all of these things. We want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice and peace. The Black Panthers were not fucking around about their cause and in january of 1967 the first black panther party office opens in oakland california later that same month they started patrolling the streets of oakland and one of their main agendas was to take up arms and protect their communities against patrolling police and you can google pictures of the panthers doing this stuff back then it was groups of black men and women marching in their neighborhoods froze and berets and shit on all black and they were holding rifles all the time, and they would literally police the police. And they did this by following cops with loaded guns, and they also would interrupt arrests. So on, uh, let's see, April 1st, 1967, two sheriffs responded to a burglary burglary uh, call to a liquor store in North Richmond, California. Police arrive to the liquor store, and uh, that's when one deputy spots two suspects and orders them to stop. Instead, the suspects run, which seems pretty normal. You're going to try not to go to jail. And that's when the deputy fired one shotgun blast. The blast strikes one of the suspects, Denzel F. Dowell, and it kills him. So not sure if Denzel was unarmed or not, but the court ruled that this was a justifiable homicide in favor of the officer. Sounds familiar. And the only difference between then and now, the Black Panthers were around to make some noise. And they organized an, ev an event which led to a rally where armed Panthers protested police brutality. They even published their own newsletter, and it was a four-page newspaper whose headline read, Why Was Denzel Killed? On May 2nd, about a month later, 30 armed Panthers, 24 men, 6 women, walked into the state capitol building. This was to protest the Mulford Act. It was a bill aimed at criminalizing the display of loaded weapons. Six of the Panthers entered the assembly chamber where lawmakers were mid-session, and some legislators even took cover under their desks when these Panthers came in. Can you imagine the kind of balls that takes in 1960 as a black person? And this is the difference between the Panthers and BLM, but I'll get into that a little bit later. So June, uh, same year, 1967, race, race riots go off in Newark, Cleveland, and Detroit, and all because of the rise of the Panthers and words traveling about them engaging and challenging police. Same year, October 1967, Officer John Frey is killed and Officer Herbert Haynes is wounded in an altercation after stopping Huey Newton and Gene McKinney. Frey stopped the Panthers in their vehicle, driven by Huey Newton. He was stopping them for, for warrants issued because of outstanding parking violations. Frey calls for backup. Backup arrives. Huey is asked to exit the vehicle. Once he does, he's informed that he's being arrested. An altercation breaks out between Huey and Frey. The incident left Huey shot in the stomach and Frey shot dead. Officer Haynes was wounded. 
A nearby bus driver witnessed the altercation. He claimed that Huey produced a concealed firearm that went off and the shot also struck Officer Haynes in the arm. At Huey's trial, in which he represented himself like a badass, he said that Frey hurled racially charged insults at him, struck him in the face, and then Officer Frey then brandished his firearm. And as soon as he did, Newton says he felt, quote, a sensation like boiling hot soup had been spilled in my stomach, end quote. Newton claims not to remember anything until after leaving the hospital or entering the hospital and Frey was pronounced dead at the scene. So this is just a very, very tiny piece of the things that the Panthers did for a short period of time um, that they were active. They were harassing police, shooting police dead, distributing their own news, not allowing the mainstream media to direct their actions and tell them who they are. They started talking about communism and dismantling capitalism too, and they, they didn't just challenge figures of authority with head-to-head -head force, they also provided new humanitarian structures that would replace the ones that they thought were outdated. And this is, you know, a somewhat little-known fact, or at least people don't talk about it much, is, you know, WIC, women, infants, and children, that stuff that, you know, um, less privileged people's moms you know, get for their kids to get free grocery stuff. That was a product of the Black Panthers. And the point I'm trying to make with this is they were intimidating the status quo because they were trying to change the world. Let's move on. Now enter Fred Hampton. He's my favorite Black Panther for sure. I used to be a really big fan of Huey because, I mean, he's Huey Newton. But there's something about the way that Fred Hampton used his charisma and his speaking abilities as a weapon. It truly inspires me. Born August 30 and raised in the suburbs of Chicago, he was an excellent student and athlete. After high school, he wanted to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers, but instead he enrolled in pre-law at Triton in River Grove, Illinois. He also became involved in the civil rights movement when he was, uh, when he joined his local NAACP branch. Right away, he was recognized for his exceptional leadership and organizational skills. And soon, he was uh, the youth president or youth, youth council president of the organization. In this position, he mobilized a racially integrated group of 500 young people who successfully lobbied city officials to create better academic services and recreation for black children. In 1968, he joined the Panthers. He used his NAACP skills and experience to quickly become the leader of the Chicago chapter, and he was just 20 years old. I don't know what 20-year-olds today are even capable of using the correct form of the word to in a sentence, let alone have this kind of ambition and for community issues. I mean, shit, adults today are way more interested in the new Marvel movies and the Marvel universe and dumb shit like video games and a bunch of senseless entertainment to be concerned with such things. Like, they're just, they're just not into it anymore. So, Fred Hampton and most other Panthers were proponents of this concept uh, called Mao Maoism. Maoism is an ideology created by a communist revolutionary who believed that the working class alone were the people responsible for overthrowing the corrupt government. That like that was that was our job as working class people to keep the government in line. Not only that, but to realign it with the needs of the people. Without getting too sidetracked into Maoism, it's 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 a thing. So with principles like Maoism in mind, Fred Hampton, he realized the suffering of black people was just a mere consequence of the overall corruption that was imposed by the government onto the working class, you know, just in general. And it needed to stop if things were going to get any better for anybody. And this was and still is the common enemy of black, white, brown, whatever people. And the only way to truly become free is to unify the working class. With this mission in mind, the first uh, major unity he made was to issue a non-aggression pact between Chicago's most powerful street gangs. He heavily emphasized that racial and ethnic conflict between gangs would only keep its members entrenched in poverty. 
After unifying games, gangs, Fred Hampton focused his efforts on promoting class-conscious alliances with other racial groups. Class consciousness is a Marxist idea that promotes the idea of working classes and their need to develop true awareness of their situation in society. For instance, if all blacks and other minorities left the country, let's say, Mexicans are gone, Asians are gone, black people are gone, even though I think a lot of us are actually native to this land, but that's another episode. If everybody was gone and the only people left here were Europeans, would do you think that the world would be better over here? Do you think our circumstances would change? No. I know that that's not the case. It would not be any different because there would still be suffering that was the just the byproduct of government control. There's going to be haves and have-nots because of the way our system of finances work. Go back to the episode about capitalism, uh, episode 3 or whatever the hell it is, or 4. So, it's just less noticeable the true nature of our situation because racial tension is a thing that kind of keeps us all focused on other things. And of course, immigration issues are a thing as well, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so Fred, he made this multicultural alliance with the Young Patriot Organization. They were a white nationalist group. Anytime you hear patriots in any fucking group, they're probably a bunch of nationalists or racists. Um, they were a nationalist group anyway, until they met Fred Hampton. Check this shit out. Fred walks into this redneck hillbilly bar in Chicago. And then he add, like they they're like, what the hell are you doing here? And he said, quote, I'm here to organize the niggas, end quote. And then they replied, quote, no niggas come here. And at that point, they're ready to fight, possibly kill Fred. And this next part is just crazy. He says, oh, yeah, well, the way I see it. They work y'all like niggas, treat y'all like niggas, and make y'all live like niggas. That makes you niggas in my book. And I say it's time to get organized and deal with this shit. God damn, that's like a powerful quote. You don't hear shit like that today. After he organized those guys, he got together with a group called the Young Lords. And it was a Puerto Rican group founded by Jose Jimenez and... um. Fred believed that the disunity between the working class was the strongest weapon against the freedom of the people. He said, quote, we have to understand that there's a man in our community called a capitalist. Sometimes he's black and sometimes he's white. But that man has to be driven out of our community because anybody who comes into our community to make a profit off of the people by exploiting them can be defined as a capitalist. And we don't care how many programs they have or how long a dashiki they have because political power does not flow from the sleeve of a dashiki. It flows from the barrel of a gun, end quote. Comrade Jackson, founder of the first Black Panther Party prison chapter, had this to say. He said, quote, I'm always telling the brothers that some of these whites are willing to work with us against the pigs. All they got to do is stop talking honky. When the racists start fighting, all you have is one manic group against another. And that's just what the pigs want. End quote. Got another one. Uh, Comrade Big Warrior also said, those who argue that black people can't be racist because black people don't have institutional power ignore that racism is a weapon to divide the masses in the interest of the class that does hold power. It doesn't matter uh, if the divide from whites, if the, the divide is from whites or blacks or vice versa. The results are always going to be the same, end quote. And even, check this out, even the powerful Marcus Garvey allied himself with the KKK and met with their leader to seek support for his black uh, back to Africa movement. And I could see this as both, you know, the KKK getting behind this. I could kind of see it as both an act of charity or like, a, yeah, sure, whatever you want, I could just get the fuck out of my country. But regardless, Marcus Garvey says, quote, I regard the Klan, the Anglo-Saxon clubs, and white American societies, as far as the Negro is concerned, are better friends of the race than other groups of hypocritical whites put together, end quote. So, thoughts and movements like this, of course, made the government very, very nervous. And at this point, the FBI and CIA are working diligently to stop the efforts of rising revolutionary groups right away. 
The Black Panthers were very strong in the community, though, and the FBI tried to stop all these food programs that eventually became WIC and stuff. And they did this by spreading communist fear amongst the people that were benefiting from these groups. But these people didn't give a shit about what they were trying to say because they were being fed because they were hungry families and they weren't just black. They were also white. They were of all races. So these people continued to to side with the Panthers. These food programs were used also to spread Panther propaganda and the government um, in response to this, they developed a program that uh, or they they started to use a program that they already made to do what they do best. And that's just it's espionage is to lie and cheat. So the FBI started applying the use of this program called COINTELPRO um, to destroy revolutionary groups, particularly the Black Panthers. Let's learn about them. If you don't pay any attention to any other part of this podcast, this episode in particular, for the love of God, please pay attention to this part. This is the entire heart of the discussion. And the most important part to understand in order to get freedom from the problems that we have in our country today centered around race and, and isms and, and, and all this other shit. So COINTELPRO, what is it? It's something that we probably would have never even heard about if it weren't for a group of activists, white guys, I believe, called the Citizens Commission to Investigate the FBI. People were generally hearing about this group shows me how how much people generally just were not taking any shit in the 1960s and 70s and i fucking love it these people they break into a small fbi office in pennsylvania and acquired 1000 documents or more in march of 1971 according to these documents j Edgar hoover directed all the fbi's offices to expose disrupt misdirect discredit and otherwise neutralize black revolutionary organizations and leaders and he is a um, he refined it down to five points a five point list of goals um, of the COINTEL pro operation so COINTEL pro by the way stands for counterintelligence so the first goal of the COINTEL pro program it seems a little bit redundant to say COINTEL pro program because it's basically counterintelligence program program but you get what I'm trying to say so the first goal was to prevent the coalition of militant black nationalist groups. In unity, there is strength, a truism that is no less valid for all its triteness. An effective coalition of black nationalist groups might be the first step toward a real Mau Mau or a black revolutionary army in America, the beginning of a true black revolution. Number two, prevent the rise of a quote-unquote messiah who could unify and electrify the militant black nationalist movement. Malcolm X might have been such a messiah, and he is the martyr of the movement today. Martin Luther King, Stokely Carmichael, and Elijah Muhammad all aspire to this position. Elijah Muhammad is less of a threat because of his age, but King could be a very real contender for this position should he abandon his supposed obedience to white liberal doctrines or nonviolence and embrace black nationalism. Carmichael has the necessary charisma to be a real threat in this way. Number three prevent violence on the part of black nationalist groups this is a primary importance uh, and is of course a goal of our investigative activity it should be the goal of counterintelligence programs to pinpoint potential troublemakers and neutralize them before they exercise their potential for violence four prevent militant black nationalist groups and leaders from gaining respectability by discrediting them to three separate segments of the community. The goal of discrediting black nationalists must be handled tactically in three ways. You must discredit those groups and individuals to first the responsible Negro community. Second, second, <laughs> second, they must be discredited to the white community 
both the responsible community and to the liberals who have vestiges of sympathy for militant black nationalists simply because they are Negroes. And third, these groups must be discredited in the eyes of Negro radicals, the followers of the movement. This last area requires entirely different tactics than the first two. Publicity about violent tendencies and radical statements merely enhances black nationalists to the last group, and it adds respectability in a different way. And number five, a final goal should be to prevent the long-range growth of militant, militant black organizations, especially among the youth. Specific tactics to prevent these from converting young people must be developed. And... Um, and that's exactly what they did. They started creating internal strife within these protest groups, and this was key to the FBI's success. Um, as one 1956 memo regarding the Communist Party explained, harassment from the outside might serve only to bring various factions together, whereas forcing and fostering from within the internal fight currently raging would help destroy the organization while avoiding the appearance of government interference. So basically what they're saying is the government can't get on TV or on the news or anywhere and say, we got to shut these groups down because it'll only make people fight harder. But if you pretend to be one of those group members and you get inside and make these people fight each other, it'll, it'll make the whole system collapse. It'll make the whole, the whole group collapse, I should say. So in order to do this, the FBI used a variety of method, often paid informants, um, to infiltrate a group and bring up controversial issues and raise acrimonious debates in order to spark conflicts within, within the group. Other times, the Bureau would literally plant falsified evidence suggesting that a particular individual was a CIA informant, and that would foster enough suspicion to break things down. So... You know, uh, Panthers routinely became disorganized and massive infighting ensued, and the group was infiltrated by informants, and drugs became an issue uh, as well because, you know, you start to see, you know, alcoholism and all this shit pop up. Later, crack, but we'll, it's another episode. Back to Fred Hampton, one of Fred Hampton's fellow party members. Um, and chief of security, William O'Neill, was a paid informant. And unfortunately, this was fatal for Fred. Um, so on December 4th, 1969, a select unit of 14 Chicago police officers executed or yeah, executed an early morning raid on the West Side apartment that left Fred Hampton and Mark Clark dead. Long story short, William O'Neill supplied authorities a crudely drawn map of Hampton's place before the raid. Fred and his colleagues were hanging out like young kids often do, and at some point during the evening, um, Fred was slipped heavy barbiturates into his drink, and he went to his bedroom for the evening and fell into a deep sleep. Shortly after the raid began, 90 shots were fired by police, and one of them, only one of those shots was by the Panthers, according to the official ballistics count. Fred was so heavily drugged, he never even woke up. His girlfriend, Deborah Johnson, was beside him and tried to wake him up, but to no success. And after the shootout, police moved occupants of the raid to the kitchen while Fred lay in his bed defenseless. And Deborah said she saw two officers enter his room and confirm that he was alive. Then she heard two gunshots and one of them say, he's good and dead now. $1.8 million was awarded to the Hamptons family, but the movement was officially dead. William O'Neill, the worst chief of security ever, committed suicide over what he'd done. He was apparently overcome by grief, and he was extorted by the FBI, and supposedly they told him that he was that he, nobody was ever going to hurt Fred, but, you know, they lie all the time. Uh, Williams, as a result of this, he, or William... Uh, as a result of this, he ran into oncoming traffic and killed himself. Shortly after that, you know, just a, a little over a decade later, the crack epidemic, you know, shortly, you know, after the Panthers died, it took hold on poor black communities and finished off the rest of the people that were willing to reignite the movement. They all got addicted to crack. So you think about that Kanye West line, how they stopped the Black Panthers Ronald Reagan cooked up an answer, you know, the song Crack Music. That's what he's talking about. 
So also a very interesting conspiracy for another day. Not going to get into it now. So with all the Panthers, Fred Hampton, and COINTELPRO, do you think our heavy media emphasis today might be used for something else? Were tactics like disrupt, misdirect, and neutralize just stopped after COINTELPRO ended in 1971? Did it ever even really end? It's the next part of our discussion. I want to open up with a quote from Malcolm X. Quote, the white liberal is the worst enemy to America and the worst enemy to the black man. There are very many whites who are trying to solve the problem, but you never see them going under the label of liberals. Malcolm highlighted the uh, that the white American who identifies as a liberal is the most dangerous and deceitful thing in Western Hemisphere. Remember the Black Panthers and the 10-point freedom plan? Black Lives Matter, in comparison, looks a lot less focused on important issues, but just these kind of superficial ones. In 1967, the Panthers literally policed their neighborhoods while armed in order to stop them from being killed disproportionately by police. Black Lives Matter still encourages people to stand around and watch people die while recording them on their cell phones. Why did none of these tactics align with the 10-point plan for liberation written by the Panthers? I pulled this directly from the BLM website. Hashtag Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murderer. Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation Incorporated. What? It's a corporate. I didn't know it was a corporation before I did any of this uh, research. It is a global organization in the U.S., U.K., and Canada whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. By combating and counter, uh, countering attacks of violence, creating space for black imagination and innovation, and centering black joy, we are winning immediate improvements in our lives. We are expansive. We are a collective of liberators who believe in an exclusive and spacious movement. We also believe that in order to win and bring as many people with us along the way, we must prove beyond the narrow nationalism that is all too prevalent in black communities. We must ensure we are building a movement that brings all of us to the front. We affirm the lives of black, queer, and trans folks, disabled folks, undocumented folks, folks with records, women, and all black lives along the gender spectrum. Our network centers on those who have been marginalized, marginalized within black liberation movements. We are working for a world where black lives are no longer systemically targeted or systematically targeted for demise. We affirm our humanity and contributions to this society and our resilience in the face of deadly oppression. The call for black lives to matter is a rallying cry for all black lives striving for liberation. So I just it all sounds great. But it doesn't have that direct kind of narrative on, hey, we want universal income. We want to be able to educate properly. It's just saying, hey, everybody has a right to protest and we want to protect you guys and our lives matter. But what does that really mean? How, how does your life matter? In what ways are they trying to suppress our lives? Count like, okay, for instance, like white supremacy, right? But it's always... White supremacy, they have this mascot, and it's like a white dude, right? But that's not really what white supremacy really is. Like, what is Black Lives Matter going to do to combat this fact? Like, an example, like the dairy industry. 70% of the world outside of Europe and the United States is lactose intolerant. Like, that's most of the world, right? So if someone in Africa or China or, uh, you know, anywhere that's not a white country, for instance, wants to have a tasty beverage chances are they're not going to run to the fridge and like pour themselves a tall glass of milk. At least it's becoming more of a thing. I've seen people starting to eat dairy more in other countries, but the point is most people are lactose intolerant, right? But it, science shows that prolonged consumption of milk is linked to poor health and chronic diseases. And that goes, you know, for a lot of foods that we eat as well. 
The only people who don't really have this problem are descendants of Northern Europe, a.k.a. white people. But in America, we have an entire food pyramid that tells us to drink milk and eat beef and pork and as if we're all the same. And we're not, obviously. If black people don't seek out alternatives, and I don't mean just black people, but people of color, particularly Asians and stuff. Uh, if we don't cult, like if we don't, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? If we don't cater to our own unique biological makeups, we're going to suffer from these ailments that you already see us from suffering from disproportionately disproportionately god damn it <laughs> i'm trying to talk too fast uh, high blood pressure diabetes obesity heart disease these are most likely the things you see these much more in like black people right this is due to white supremacy in my opinion and is it on purpose, though? Are people really like, get these niggas to drink milk and then we'll fucking kill them off? That You know what I'm saying? I'm sure people know about it and aren't doing anything about it. But the guy who's bringing milk to the grocery store, they're not like saying, niggas, you need to drink milk. They're telling everybody to drink milk. And it just happens to mostly affect black kids and Asians who get asthma and stuff when, they, when they're born drinking these things. Right? To put all this simply, I look at it this way. From my viewpoint as a melanated person in America, I see myself as somewhat a member of the Yamasees tribe that we talked about earlier, the Native Americans who are given favor by the colonists. And everyone else around me, they're the Europeans, they're these rich people, they're property owners, they're women, they're lawmakers, they're Asians, they're, you know, what have you, any group that you want to say, all these people are tribes. You know, liberals, conservatives, I forgot to add those in. Those are big ones. They're all different tribes as far as I'm concerned from my individual perspective. And it goes the same for you, most likely, whether or not you notice it. We have these unconscious biases and these things that we think about these people. And we, we see them as they're not in alignment with our way of life and they don't believe in our gods, so to speak. Right. And that makes it difficult for us to see how we're the same. We're at war with one another. It's a cold war, though. We're not necessarily always out here killing each other, but it's the liberal versus the conservative and all these little movements within the whole grand scheme of things. And currently, the liberal movement is this fulcrum that, like, shifts the weight of our collective perception right now. That's the hero of society right now. They're positioned in the media as this savior and voice of reason to everything that we think is a critical problem right now. Like, they're going to stop people like Donald Trump and him specifically from grabbing fucking vaginas and they're they're stopping global warming and and they're because they're going to make electric cars and, and all this other nonsense. And I mean, OK, I'm getting out of hand because I don't think electric cars are nonsense. I actually really love the idea. But, you know, you look at LGBT, etc. Liberals tell you that they're going to tell you which words to say. So you're not offending people. We're going to teach you how to be a better person now oh yeah and then they're like fuck the police that's right now white people also hate the police because they're starting to lose economic privilege in our society on the count of hyperinflation and the rise of crime and poverty in formerly privileged areas it's the collapse of our capitalist society and it's not it's not the fact that is specifically white dudes you can blame that on or or any other group of people mexicans coming into the country or black people in in urban areas it's it's the fucking money system is falling down but no fuck that liberals got you a cab even though darkies scare me and i call the police on them when they're at the pool in my apartment complex like do you live here al-qaeda and isis aren't even public enemy number one anymore Really, that title goes to conservatives. They oppress all the groups that I mentioned earlier. They harass women. They harass black people. They won't stop calling Caitlyn Jenner Bruce, you know, and that's important. That's what's the most important thing. That's what we all need to be concerned with are these matters that we're only superficially offering. Uh, um, what do they call that? Solutions to in the first place. But not capitalism and its cozy relationship between corporations such as Black Lives Matter and government policymakers. That's not something we should be concerned with. 
And it's not just Black Lives Matter, it's all of these movements to some extent. They all have legitimate points of view and causes, but if you look really closely, they're not telling you really to do anything extreme. They're these run and if you look deeper, follow the money a little bit, they're usually run by very wealthy people. You know, the top hogs. I say hogs because they're pigs, you know, but they're the colonists. We're the Yamases. The big question is, what the fuck are those truffle munching bitch ass pigs putting their goddamn snouts in this time? I see you motherfuckers. You think you done pulled the cool over my eyes, bitch. Let me tell you something. Think I'm one of these fake woke niggas. Nah, nah, nah. I see you, hog. I see you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't even know what that was, but you know, I'm a big believer in like spirituality and living a a life that's based in truth, the way things really are, not the way that the media tells you that they are, not the the trendy things. Those things are always fleeting, and they're always instituted by someone who has something to gain from it you know i'm you do you know what i'm saying like does this not raise red flags in anyone i'm not saying you got to go berserker and go crazy and, and by no way am i saying people need to start being super extreme and like doing crazy shit but at least pay attention i don't think you really have to do anything at all if you're paying attention that's the point like self-actualization is the only thing that can really help us to me in a perfect world black lives matter you know what i mean and that's true but instead of only having rallies and marches we'd be focused on bringing black neighborhoods together uniting gangs stopping black on black violence starting book clubs and learning how to return to our true native melanated perspectives there are diets the things that we're supposed to eat and instead, we're just doubling down on this, this shit that's vaguely perpetuated in just the media. We think that that's going to help. And, and in a way, I understand it because it's scary to want to have to self-actualize. You know, you don't want to have to wake up earlier and work out and stop eating the things that you don't want to eat. And, and changing your behaviors, transforming. It's scary and you don't know how sometimes, especially when you've been traumatized or you're just beaten down by oppression and you have a low willpower to to fight back it is legitimately a psychological thing we're malnourished and we're not rested so it's hard to make decisions but it's really the only thing that's going to help is that it has to come from within and right now we're just our self-actualization is hijacked and presented you know to us through the lens of western imperialism it's like someone wants us to think that we're making progress, but not in a way that would dismantle their system. It's like, you can kind of do whatever you want. Do your little thing. Have your little parades. But just don't fuck with our shit. They're never going to give us the tools to dismantle their oppressive behaviors. They would never do that, and they never have. People need to pay attention. I, it's, it's hard because this is something that you can't really prove, but... It's a, it's a thought and, and an intuition that comes from higher places. It's not just the intellect. The intellect will steer you wrong in a lot of ways. It's intellect plus self-awareness, I guess is what I'm trying to be redundant, aren't I? So, you know, I just noticed it's, it's, it matches a lot of what COINTELPRO seems to be going on. Just distort and, and you know, intersect and, and fuck with our movements. Movements that could help us, in theory, is what I'm trying to say, I guess. BLM is not feeding the hungry or talking about capitalism or how it, you know, contributes to systemic oppression in any way. And maybe some fringe groups are, but it's not a mainstream idea. So congratulations. We're all little kids trying to play a video game that's, you know, with an unplugged controller. And we're making noise, we're saying words, we're moving around, but... How much power do we really have? The next section um, is just a little bit of a bonus, but I kind of wanted to talk about something that I also think is just an, a, a com it compounds the thing that I just talked about. It's, it augments it in some way. Stay with me, motherfuckers.
it's weird because I say things like this and as a black man the way white supremacy and culture and conditioning works the fact that I sound like fucking Wayne Brady and that I'm saying something anti-BLM our intelligence is overridden it's all emotional now so if somebody hears me saying this they'll just be like this nigga's an Uncle Tom it'll discredit everything that I'm saying why is this? I think it's due to something that is called technological derealization and COVID on top of all this is not helping. So quick word about technology and derealization slash personality disorders. The current Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or the DSM-5, it's the American Psychiatric Association's Bible, and it includes Dissociative Identity Disorder, which is formerly known as uh, Multiple Personality Disorder, and Depersonalization slash Derealization is a sense of unreality, unreality about yourself and your environment. Excuse me, I can't talk today. So there's many explanations for our dissociative moments. Um, Some of them are anxiety and depression, which often coexist with dissociative identities. And this is on the rise. But our relationship to technology might actually have something to do with it. This is from an article that I read. So we spend huge chunks of our lives acting independently of our bodies, right? Aside from the occasional hand cramp or urgent need to pee, most of us shuff off our sense of self and our surroundings in order to answer emails and interact with one another via social media like tweets and Instagram. But our avatars often seem more powerful than our offline selves. Boasting for you know thousands of followers instead of a few real friends. And every platform, especially image conscious ones like Instagram, they encourage us to this constant game of cosplay of the self. And it it encourage us, encourages us to project someone that's cooler and hotter and happier than we really are. Does this sound familiar? I think this is a little akin to this thing where, you know, you can see people getting their asses kicked or murdered by police or otherwise, and nobody does anything. There's just a bunch of people there with their phones out staring at somebody asking for help. Maybe they'll yell world star every once in a while, but the shit is fucking weird. And I think this is why, you know, derealization. We spend so much time with our technology, reality's starting to feel like a fucking dream. So I believe it's also why people can, you know, post a blacked out photo of their avatar or wear a BLM shirt and feel like they're doing something helpful, like they're part of a movement, while in fact, they're just hashtagging and talking about shit online, but it's not a real thing. It's not real support. It's not real action. It's just support in theory. You know what I mean? Even me, I'm sitting right here right now talking into a microphone, staring at my phone, recording on an app. Is this really contributing to any movement that's actually important other than in theory? And I find it funny that COVID happens kind of around the same time as all this stuff, like to compound the mental and emotional distance that we've already created you know, between each other, particularly blacks and whites, we've now added a literal physical like distance between us as well. And it's not just between whites and blacks anymore. It's between men and women and gay and straight people. Like it takes depersonalization even further, like to the point where we don't even identify as humans in a specific way anymore. We don't know who's a man or who's a woman or, or what, really. It's all kind of just up in the air. And I'm and I'm not saying that there's, there should be any hate towards, you know, people that are trans or gay. It's all love from over here. But we have to understand that we're slipping into a strange reality. Is this just making derealization worse? Like, I can see a future where we don't even call each other humans anymore. I mean, you already see it. Check this shit out. Like... Z is pronoun it's it's a it's a word and it's its variations are zer, zem and zir and they're gender gender neutral pronouns that can be used to refer to people who are non-binary, gender fluid, gender queer, trans or they don't even identify is like with the gender binary at all. 
And other variations um, of these tenses of these pronouns are zerself and zerself. And Z pronouns are often used alongside here pronouns and with different uses and tenses of the form are usually Z, Zer, hers, herself, whatever the fuck it is. And I and I think this shit might be some sort of mental disorder. And it's okay if you want to be called some other pronoun that's atypical to the ones that we use, but what the fuck is happening to humanity? So, conclusion of this episode. We're at a point where there's so much racial tension. Coming together doesn't seem very easy or possible at all. But once we realize that we all die equally in foreign wars, we starve, we work our fucking hands to the bone, work our lives away, we get sick, we get used and abused by corporations. We, this is the only realizations that we can make that are going to make us become one tribe. We can't keep fucking fighting each other. We just can't do it anymore. We have to come together to survive. It's truly one of the major roadblocks stopping humanity from experiencing true bliss and freedom. The fact that we won't come together. What if we did come together though? What if we realized love and unity are weapons? In my mind's eye, I can see a new revolution coming. One where black people raise their fists and say black power or white people raise their fist and yell white power and nobody fucking cringes as they march through the doors of the institution with every inch of their willpower white and black people coming together to make a ferocious gray panther gray panther party just like the black panthers but instead would be interested in putting all people first keeping communities safe fighting anti-human legislation, poverty, and overall being in charge of policing our own rights. Here's what I imagine the 10-point plan would be. One, humans won't be free until we're able to determine our own destinies. Two, we want employment or basic income. If the government is to remain in charge, then they must provide unemployment or basic income to humans. And if this isn't provided to the people, we should acquire the means of doing so ourselves and provide a respectable standard of life to our communities. Three, the end of robbing of our society. Anti-human practices have robbed us of our rights. People should not pollute the environment. Recycling should be a readily available and mandatory institution. Four, humans need livable, efficient, and sustainable housing. Five, we need proper education. We need education centered on sustaining human life on earth. Education should help humans discover purpose of the relationship they have to the greater good. Six, a great piece of human ingenuity should be aimed at ending war immediately. Seven, immediately end the incarceration of individuals who committed nonviolent, victimless crimes, especially for profit. Rehab should be provided to addicts for free. Eight, immediate end to police brutality. Police who kill unarmed perps should be punished to the furthest extent of the law. No questions asked. Nine, if tried for a crime, people should be tried by a jury of their actual peers, people from their neighborhoods, their income level, etc. And number 10, free health care and education on how to best care for ourselves. Medication should be priced fairly. Companies who withhold cures for profit face punishment to the furthest extent of the law. And all that being said, man, I think we should fucking create a new group. You know, if you're picking up what I'm putting down and call it the Grey Panther Party, a group of people of any race or gender or non-gender for all I fucking care. And anybody who these words resonate with, anybody who really, really wants to make the world a better place without the disease of cancerous capitalism chipping away at our humanity and further dividing us and if the government doesn't kill me for saying this hit me up on social media at dean x martian on instagram and at martian dean on twitter and if you got any ideas thoughts comments about the show whatever the fuck you even if you just want to say hi 
Or if you want to say, hey, you're an idiot, uh, <laughs> email me at dean at deanxmartian.com. And please subscribe to the show and like it. And I guess I'll see you next time, Great Panthers. Peace. No love inside the city Yeah, yo, if you sniffing Thank God for this shit here Pray this is what I got Ain't love in my city, yeah Hard to trust dudes to grow up with Kicking buckets and hitting licks Cops come miss a bunch of Helen Keller ass motherfuckers Channel 9 on IG with 9 heats Grab my balls, model, fuck the law and the police Squad mobbing out by the Legion We on die, we multiplying On a good Friday, we riding Roll another one, bitch, you broke as fuck I ain't even high yet No blue eyes, still a wise guy I do it my way Then I'm about to how getting fucked up around here Valley where the shadow of death is Shoot for shit like necklaces Pokemon cards gone, blue and rest over here Bodies gotta catch them all Trying to eat my Glock is Charizard Char your yard When I let it off Your mama peek at you For the casket shut that's why it's hard to trust dudes to grow up with Something moves a cue to pull the stick Beef ain't new, that's why my nigga sick Grab a cup, no love inside the city Yeah, yo, if you sniffing yeah. Thank God for this shit here yeah. Pray this is what I got yeah. Ain't love in my city yeah. yeah, I ain't really about that life But I grew up on the north side Shout out to the old hoods Wheels on a school bus ride Country city mentality, little shot. I ain't sure to take what we like. I ain't seen my swag nowhere. On total request live. Why we ain't got clothes with checks? Why you ride public transit? Seen a known dope boy. Trying to get like that there. Wanna get that stack quick. Who driving that whip? Wanna walk in the party and that shit lit. You point at me and be like that nigga. All to the mall, merchandise in my drawers. Get home, new stuff. Mama be like, where you get that from? Grandma gave your nigga some money. In the guidance office, performing poor again. Like what you doing? Trying to barely strategically barrel roll a charge of truancy. Gun in my britches, flee the police and I ditch it. Clean off the prints, over the bridge and it's swimming. Going straight from now on. Got myself a day job, couple days and quit. Sold papers I was supposed to deliver. Everybody around me praise college like it's to cure all the nigga conditions. Shit.